When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Well, hello there, my good friend, and welcome in to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. I am Clint Davis. I talk movies and television from a closet, a studio in my closet, a humble studio in my closet outside of Columbus, Ohio. And in just a little bit, we'll be hearing from my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak, from his home studio up there on the lake in Cleveland. And he'll be talking about music, because on this show, we talk about all things streaming, music, movies, television. We bring it all to you right here as only we can, because uh, this is the only podcast where anyone talks about movies, TV, and music. I don't know if you knew that. Podcasting is kind of a niche the niche thing. Not a lot of people have picked up on it yet. We're in on the ground floor, and uh, we are talking about entertainment, which is just something that there are some podcasts out there, but mostly they just talk about murders and stuff like that. Like no one talks about movies or anything. It's totally, this is totally original stuff here. Um, Of course that is not true, but we hope that uh, you, you stick with us here because we've built up a rapport over all these years. We have been doing this show for a long time now. And uh, I, I think Andy and I have, have proven to you the, the, the kind of guys we are, the kind of fans we are, how much we love this stuff and how much we love getting on the microphone and talking to you, our dear friend, uh, about it every month on the Stream Police Podcast. I urge you, if you just can't get enough of us, uh, you can find me also on uh, Overdue Review on YouTube. Overdue Review is my name there. Uh, you can see some of my video movie, movie reviews uh, if you check them out. And some extra takes and things like that. Also some bits from this show that I've put up on the YouTube channel. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Mr. Clint Davis. Uh, and you can find Andy on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. Uh, and I also want to urge you now to find me on Letterboxd as well at Mr. Clint Davis. Where you'll see every movie I watch, I, I write a little tiny review of it on there. Um, I don't use half stars because I don't believe in them. So it's going to be a one, two, three, four, or five, and that's it. No halves. All right? No half measures, remember? As that science teacher on television once said. Um, uh, You'll also see my list of... So every month on the show, I recommend a lot of movies in the process of the show. And the reason I got on Letterboxd is because I got a... um, 
you know, I had heard about it for a long time, but it was like, do I really need another social media thing in my life? But I finally was convinced to get on it. And one of our listeners on the show here said, hey, you know, you recommend a lot of shows and movies and they just kind of, you know, I can't write them all down while you're talking. So maybe you could like put lists together on Letterboxd for every episode. And that's, that's what I'm doing. So if you go back on there, you'll find all the things I recommended in the last episode of the show, episode number 102. And if you look on there this time, you'll see my list of everything recommended in episode number 103. So we're going to get to plenty of stuff as the show rolls on. But man, I've been working about like 50 hours a week for the past couple weeks, no exaggeration. And uh, so I'm a little, I'm a little beat, but you know, miraculously, I have actually been able to still watch plenty of TV somehow, even with all that working and, and raising my son and, you know, uh, you know, making dinner and all the things that you have to do, going to the doctor and all that stuff. Still have found time late at night to settle in and watch TV shows. So uh, that is some of the, those are some of the things we'll be talking about this month on the show. Uh, but you know, right now I'm drinking a hemp infused, non-alcoholic cocktail. So let's roll, baby. Let's get going. Let me go ahead and light my stogie. I sit here in my closet outside Columbus and I like to light a, a cigar in my closet. Something I've been doing for years. It just sets the ambiance. So let me, let me get that going here. Good as ever. A little Rocky Patel groundhog this time in case you're keeping score at home. Uh, or if the Rocky Patel Corporation wants to send me any freebies, uh, you know how to do it. Um, anyway, it's episode number 103 here of the Stream Police podcast. Man, it's been a long time. And the way that we always like to open the show is I always like to take you into the Hall of Fame of great TV shows throughout TV history and put another induction into the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And it's it's our canon of greatest TV show theme songs ever. And this month's entry is going to be number 76, 76 great TV show theme songs we've done over the course of the history of, of this podcast. So if you can, if you can believe it, we found 76 of them and I've still got plenty on my short list to go. But this time, you know, after we did back to back months, uh, where I pulled out a theme song from the year 1987. So I figured, you know, it was time that we we head back a little further down the rivers of time. And let's float on down to 1977, when disco ruled the charts, and it even found its way onto the opening of a ratings behemoth for ABC and one of the great sing-along theme songs ever recorded. <laughs> Exciting and new Come aboard We're expecting you Either you know it or you don't. And The Love Boat was before my time. So I've actually never seen an episode of The Love Boat. But I know this theme song by heart because it was on a compilation CD of 70s hits 
that I had as a kid. I had like four or five different compilation albums specifically of songs from the 70s, like disco hits, funk hits, stuff like that from the 70s, like 70s rock, whatever. These were just like these compilations that I think were on TV, you know, back in the day when you'd see the TV commercials for like different compilation records and then you would try to get like try to buy them somehow like get your parents to order it or whatever if you wanted one so anyway one of the 70s compilations i had had the love boat theme song on it sung by jack jones for some reason and i used to sit there and i would love belting this one out along with jack jones and if you don't know anything about him he was a a vegas crooner I, i think he still is i think he's still alive he's a vegas crooner who won a pair of Grammys actually in the 1960s in the category of best pop male performance. So like we're talking early 1960s when it was standards, crooner music, you know, was really dominating the charts. This is where Jack Jones wheelhouse was. He didn't catch he, he his career didn't continue to take off post Beatles. Okay. So he was, he found his sweet spot like in 62, 63. And he was probably like, Oh boy, I'm on the gravy train. This is going to go on forever. And I think he had a good career, but it was safe to say that he wasn't really a mainstay at the Grammys after that, or necessarily at the top of the charts following the British invasion and, and, uh, uh, people realizing that, uh, rock and roll was, uh, much more exciting than some like middle-aged guy, singing and looking longingly into the camera. Um, But actually, you know, for Jack Jones, getting the chance to record this cheesy theme song for a TV show about a cruise ship was his ticket back to the big time, and it paid off big, baby. If you know nothing about the story of the love boat, it is set on a luxurious cruise ship called the MS Pacific Princess, and it follows the crew of that ship as they sail port to port, and they go around to places like Acapulco and Puerto Vallarta, and they find love and adventure along the way, and mishaps and all kinds of things happen. I mean, it's kind of a cool setting for a TV show. I always like to talk about that. I think certain settings are just great for doing TV especially syndicated TV, like where you know it's going to have life in reruns. And when you have a setting like a hospital or, you know, this is why police shows work so well, a police station or um, a hotel or, you know, something like this, a, a cruise ship with tons of rooms, you know, you've got a chance to have all these great guest stars come in and off every single episode Um, and some can be memorable, some can be forgettable and it's whatever. We move on to the next story the next week and it all works out and and we follow the crew and get to know them, but everyone else is kind of replaceable. So it works really well. Um, and it was, it's almost like a workplace show, but also it's got some adventure and some romance in it as well. This was like carefree Saturday night viewing, which is where it was on ABC's time slot for almost 10 years from 1977 to 1986, it was produced by the legendary Aaron Spelling. It floats back to you. The Love Boat was never a big hit with critics, but it was a massive hit with audiences. It ranked consistently inside the top 20 highest rated shows on TV 
for its first seven seasons, which is crazy for a show that's on a Saturday night, right? I mean, can you imagine any show airing on a Saturday night being among the the highest rated shows on TV? It should, would just be unheard of today. That's the television graveyard. And I don't even think at that point Saturday night was necessarily a place where you put your hottest shows. But ABC had kind of a cool thing going with uh, The Love Boat and, and Fantasy Island, which were shows that kind of worked together thematically and, and, and took viewers away on a Saturday night. If they were sitting at home lonely, they had something to watch. But the show did tail off, as they always do, in popularity after those first seven seasons. And it was canceled after nine seasons Overall, its episodes were an hour long, even though this really was kind of like it was basically a comedy. Um, it's not like a sitcom, but it was pretty much a, a, a lighthearted drama, a romantic comedy kind of thing. Um, so the episodes were an hour long, but it used a laugh track. So, again, I just want you to imagine that for a minute. This is one of the only shows in history that was able to make the claim that it was an hour long show that also featured a laugh track because the laugh track has always just been on the half hour sitcoms hour long shows dramas pretty much always you know not a lot of hour long comedies in the history of tv but the love boat was just kind of one of those weird frankenstein shows where it crossed the line of both and they actually threw a laugh track on this thing which would just sounds like torture for an hour of watching a show with a laugh track on it that sounds Absolutely horrible, but you know what? It's kind of a unique piece of history for this show. The Love Boat starred Gavin McLeod, Bernie Copel, Ted Lang, Lauren Tews, and Ted McGinley, among many others, nearly all of whom were character actors except for ted mcginley this really was not a cast loaded with sex appeal and that's so funny coming from aaron spelling because his shows were known for like all the actors were sexy so i feel like none of the cats on the love boat would have gotten any any action whatsoever at melrose place let me just put it that way now maybe ted lang all right you know he shaves the mustache I think he could have had a chance because he has some swag. He could have had a chance at Melrose Place, but I don't see any of the guys on the love boat getting a lot of action over at Melrose Place. Let me just put it that way. I don't think they had the bodies for it. Uh, well, except maybe for Jack Jones belting out the tune. He might have He might have gotten laid. This big, bold, unapologetic theme song was composed by basically a dream team of songwriters, if you can believe it, a two-man team. It was The music was written by Charles Fox, who wrote the original theme song to Monday Night Football. He did the ABC Wild Wide World of Sports theme. Uh, he actually wrote the music for Killing Me Softly with his song, Grammy-winning classic there. And the lyrics, meanwhile, were written by Paul Williams, an icon of the 1970s. He wrote songs like The Rainbow Connection, Rainy Days and Mondays, We've Only Just Begun, an old-fashioned love song. Um, so this was really a songwriting dream team, like I said. And I, for one, 
think his shows, and I'm not kidding about that. It's it's so over the top. It commands that you sit down and set sail with the love boat, which is what a good theme song should always do. And that's why, to me, the love boat theme song is our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. I don't know if you remember the movie um, Summer Rental at all, the John Candy movie, but there was a really actually funny joke in that movie about the Love Boat song where Rip Torn, rest in peace, he's he's like this hook-armed, you know, seafaring, uh, you know, old salty dog, this old salt character, and he's out on a boat with John Candy's character and uh, decides to, to sing... Well, an old sea ditty, as he puts it. You must know a lot of ocean songs. I do. Here's a sea ditty my mother taught me. Love, exciting and new. Come aboard. We're expecting you. And love, life's sweetest reward. Let it flow, it, it flows back, back to you, the love boat, and we'll be making another run. Both of those guys are gone, man. That is truly, truly sad. But hey, at least they're connected forever by the Love Boat theme song, our, our latest entry into the canon of the greatest TV show theme songs ever written the breaking bad universe has given us some of the you know most talked about moments in modern tv history but one of my beefs against that whole thing with breaking bad and better call Saul is that they have not put a spotlight on the theme song okay they've kind of acted like it doesn't even matter the theme song from breaking bad was like non-existent and the theme song for better call Saul is cool but then it ends after like three seconds and it just cuts off so, you know, that's my biggest beef with the Breaking Bad universe and Vince Gilligan is that he just doesn't seem to respect the TV theme song. And that shocks me from a guy who, who uh, you know, cut his teeth in the writer's room at the X-Files because the X-Files had one of the great TV show theme songs ever. And I pointed that fact out all the way back in episode number 52 in February of 2018 when I inducted the X-Files into the canon of great TV show theme songs. But anyway, I digress. The reason why I'm talking about the Breaking Bad universe is because Better Call Saul is coming to an end just a couple days after I'm recording this episode of The Stream Police. So the series finale is set to air. um, And by the time you listen to this show, I'm sure it probably will have already aired. So my timing kind of sucks here. Because I'm gonna like have to wait a month to basically talk about how the show ended, and I'm not gonna like get into spoilers or anything anyway. Um, I don't do that when I review any shows on this TV show unless they're really old. Um, but I'm not gonna do that about Better Call Saul. So even if like you are watching the show and you're like you haven't caught up yet, I'm gonna talk about the show now how the final season's been going. But I'm not gonna give any spoilers away. I just want to talk in general about this final season of the show and about Better Call Saul in general because I, I've heard you know people always want to do this, and especially when it's a spinoff show 
a prequel, sequel, whatever you want to be. Um, and in the case of Better Call Saul, it's a spinoff and a prequel of Breaking Bad, but it's also kind of a sequel because there are scenes that take place after Breaking Bad is over uh, that happen in black and white in Better Call Saul. So I've, you know, the, the discourse always ends up being with these shows, well, which one was better? And, and Breaking Bad is consistently rated by, by, you know, TV fans and critics alike as one of the great TV shows in history. And I am one of those people who really, I enjoyed that show a lot. And mostly it's from a writing and a plotting point of view, also from a a filmmaking point of view, because I think there was just some tremendous cinematography in that series. Um, And I think there was a central performance, uh, you know, from Brian Cranston that was just one, honestly, for the ages. Uh, And they just take that character into such a dark abyss and never look back once. But that show just makes you feel gross. And it's such a hard watch um, also. And, uh, you know, there are parts of it that I don't love. There are parts of it that don't make a whole lot of sense necessarily. There are parts of it that are just, you know... uh, writers just coming up with something and because maybe they thought it was cool and it doesn't necessarily work um, when you think about it too hard. But you know what? That, those are all forgivable things because in the grand scheme of things, Breaking Bad was one of the great surprise shows. Um, and it did give us so many unforgettable moments, unforgettable characters, and a, ultimately a great world uh, that has enriched the TV landscape completely. Um, because of what it gave us from from its own run, and then now from Better Call Saul. So for over the over the past decade, we've been treated to, you know, ten years of phenomenal TV because of where it all started with Breaking Bad. And some people will say, well, Better Call Saul ends up being the better show. And I am somebody who would probably say I like the pace of Better Call Saul better. I like. Um, Though I like the story, I think better in Better Call Saul. I like uh, the the character development. I like the acting overall better. I think in Better Call Saul, I think it's more refined completely uh, than Breaking Bad was. But I can't say that I think it's the better show because it wouldn't exist without Breaking Bad. So it's impossible for me to say that it would be better uh, than Breaking Bad. But I think it is a tremendous service to that show, and I remember. When I'm old enough, kids, to remember when they t- announced that they were going to do a spinoff of Breaking Bad and it was going to be about Saul Goodman, um, you know, the sleazy lawyer character from Breaking Bad, played by Bob Odenkirk, who stole so many uh, scenes in that show. Um, and I remember people being like, oh, God, this is a terrible idea because Breaking Bad had just come to an end and it had just, you know, won all these Emmys and, you know, was just like the only show anybody talked about on social media and, you know, at the office, people talked about it all the time. And it was just a a show that just captured, you know, everyone's kind of pop culture attention for a while. And it was such a captivating series. Um, and it was like, oh, they're just going to, they're just kind of milking the, the cash cow here to do a spinoff. But anyway, Better Call Saul ended up being such a rich addition to that thing. And we got to watch characters like Mike and Gus, who were the, some of the best characters on Breaking Bad, develop so much more into human beings. And we got to watch those performances by actors like Giancarlo Esposito and Jonathan Banks come in and do things that they weren't able to do in Breaking Bad. 
um, and, and get dig deeper into their characters. And we just got so many more holes filled in in the time that we've had during this show. And they are really such different shows. Like they are crime shows. They are dramas. They are shows about kind of these despicable white men, which is, a, you know, is such a, a common thing in the last 20 years in TV that it's really become a trope. Um, but I feel like Better Call Saul especially does a great job of showing us the human uh, cost of bad decisions, of crime, of selfishness um, by people like Saul Goodman. And this is a character that has really just continued to go deeper and deeper uh, into his own self-made holes as uh, the series has gone on. And this final season, it's been a longer season than the others of the show have been. And it's been, in a lot of ways, to me, the best season of the show. I think they have just masterfully linked the two shows together because you've finally been getting more um, into the Breaking Bad timeline and seeing the real Saul Goodman. Whereas in the first couple seasons of, of Better Call Saul, he was firmly Jimmy McGill. He was this kind of wide-eyed, um, you know, young guy who wanted to become a lawyer to impress his brother, who's a very powerful attorney in New Mexico. And so he just kind of lived his life trying to impress his brother. But also he did have this bad streak in him and uh, had got a big thrill out of pulling con jobs on people. And eventually... He hooks up with um, another lawyer, and they have a great love story. Her name is Kim Wexler. She becomes the breakout character of the entire series, Better Call Saul. And Ray Seahorn brings her so much life and gives what I consider to be one of the best performances that I've seen in TV ever. Uh, I mean, I think Ray Seahorn as Kim Wexler, if she doesn't finally win an Emmy for this, then it'll be one of the great robberies in TV history because... She has done so much to make that character a real life, living, breathing person. She's one of the realest characters in the entire universe of Breaking Bad. Um, and the thought, you know, we were all on pins and needles for the entire like run of the show because we know that this is a character that does not appear in Breaking Bad. And she's hooked up with Saul Goodman. So how can it end well for her? I mean, and, and most people just assume, well, she's she's going to get killed probably. I mean, how else could it go for her? Why would she not be in this show at all? She's so tight with Jimmy. They're married, for God's sakes. What is going to happen with her? And we've finally gotten some answers on that. And like I said, not going to give anything away. Um, but it's just been so great to watch her work again um, and do some of the most emotional uh, deep digging work that I've seen her do in the entire run of the show because Kim Wexler is mostly a cold customer um, and she's brilliant calculating just like Saul but she doesn't have necessarily she does have charm but she doesn't uh, she operates in a much steelier way than he does and she can be downright ruthless especially when she has her mind on set on something and uh when she feels she's been wronged uh she can definitely make someone's life a living hell as she and Saul prove during the final season of the show to disastrous consequences. So I've been enjoying it every single week. I cannot wait to watch this finale. Uh, there are so many still uh, threads that need to be tied up and there's been a great performance by Carol Burnett. Just getting to watch her do dramatic work in this, uh, in this season of the show has been a joy. 
And uh, I have just, I'm bummed that it's coming to an end because I have truly loved Better Call Saul from the first episode. I remember watching the pilot and just being like, man, this is every bit as good as Breaking Bad was. And where are we going to go with this story? And seeing all these cons that were pulled over the years and, uh, you know, all these brilliant ways that Jimmy has gotten himself and other people out of trouble um, and then pulling Kim into it. It's just, it's been fun to watch, but it's also been sad. And I think this season especially shows you the cost of all those things that they've done over the years, even the little things, how they've all added up. And all the time he was kind of telling himself that it doesn't really matter that we're not really hurting anybody. It's all just kind of a, a of a lark. Um, it wasn't. And real prices were paid. Uh, devastating prices because of some of the things that uh, he and Kim uh, engineered over the course of this TV show. So uh, it's a it's a tough, tough show. And um, it's it doesn't lose any of the edge of Breaking Bad, uh, but it's not as like it's not as crime focused, like bloody crime, murder, you know, drug focused as Breaking Bad was. So it's one of those shows that consistently is kind of a TV 14 rating, um, but still ends up being as, you know, edgy as it gets and very dark and very lived in and very uh, mature. And just um, the, the emotions are real, the human emotions and, and the toll that it takes on these people is, is really tough, but it's been a fascinating show to watch unfold. And I'm so glad that, that, that AMC made it happen and that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold, the uh, co-creators of the show and the two guys really who've been behind it from day one, uh, it decided to do it be, and, and go all the way with it because it's been so enriching as far as making, you know, a universe that was already pretty rich in television history, even like twice as rich you know, I mean, they come away with not only one of the great TV shows ever, but two of them right back to back. And that is something truly remarkable set in the exact same universe. It just shows that you can have, if a character is compelling enough and a performance is good enough, you can come up with, and you and your writers are good enough, because the writers behind Better Call Saul are really what have made it what it is. Um, but writers... And a, a character who's that good and, a, and an actor who's that good at living in that character's skin, there are almost endless stories that can be told. So anytime you start doubting when you hear about a spinoff or a sequel or a revisitation, just remember Better Call Saul and any reservations you may have had about it before it came out and how great this show has turned out to be. It has, it has been phenomenal. So the final episode of Better Call Saul airs a couple days from now. And if you haven't caught up on it yet, like watch the final season through, and I think you'll just be hooked. It's a, it's a binge watch uh, fantasy for sure. And I think um, it's, it's going to be great to watch this series through. I'm not sure what order you're going to want to watch it in though, because even though it takes place mostly before Breaking Bad, like I said, there are scenes that take place after Breaking Bad as well. So it's kind of tough to know where do I want to watch this show? Should I watch it first and then Breaking Bad? Should I watch Breaking Bad and then watch Better Call Saul? It seems like either way will work. Um, but I think if you watch Better Call Saul first, 
you're going to end up having some things spoiled for you in Breaking Bad because they do mention things that happen at the, you know, in the end of Breaking Bad that you wouldn't otherwise have known about. So that kind of ruins it as far as a prequel and in what order you should watch it in. So I think it is really more of a sequel. Uh, but now that I'm finishing up Better Call Saul, all it makes me want to do is rewatch Breaking Bad again. So I'll probably be diving back into that again just to watch it from this whole other point of view now that I know so much more about Saul and about the rest of these characters. Um, but uh, yeah, check it out. The final season airing now on AMC and streaming on AMC+. Plus. I thought it was you. I wasn't all the way sure, but now that I'm seeing you up close, sure. It's you. Oh, come on, man. I just want to say hi. I'm a big fan. You know, back in the day when I lived in Albuquerque with my ex, I used to see you everywhere. You're on the billboards, on the TV. I used to have one of your matchbooks. You got me mixed up with someone. My name is Takovic, Gene Takovic. Sorry, I'm gonna, I gotta get back to work. Come on, man, that is not cool. I know who you are, you know who you are. Let's just get past that. What do you, what do you want? I just want you to admit it. I, I don't know what you're... Sure you do. Just say it. I really don't know what... Come on. Come on. Come on, man. Say it. I can't even hear that. Better call Saul. All right, I'm going to go ahead and toss things over to Andy because he's got a lot to talk about this month, um, including some songs that might just put a smile on your face. And couldn't we all use that right about now? I uh, I think we could. It might be a, a kind of a sly smile, as Andy would say. When I come back, I'm going to talk about Jordan Peele's latest movie, Nope, which I caught... Uh, at the drive-in, actually, of all places, since the last time we spoke. And I'll also tell you about the best thing I watched this month, and it is streaming now on HBO Max. All that and more coming up. Uh, but anyway, let me send it up to Cleveland. Go ahead and take it away, Mr. Setlack. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow, great to see you again. Can I, can I ask you a question? How in the world is summer almost over how is that possible it felt like opening day just happened and now we're we're past the trade deadline it's just amazing really is hey my name is andy sedlak i oversee uh music duties around here and if you if you have a second uh to spare if you if you enjoy this show well gosh if you could please rate and review us we would certainly appreciate it uh, we'd never get tired of uh, reading nice things uh, about ourselves. All right, here we go. Let's get on with it. A, a lot of our listeners know us personally, and many of them go back a long way with us. If you do, uh, you may remember that in college at, uh, at the prestigious Wright State University, Clint and I had a radio show together. We hosted this show together, and it was called Sleaze City. Sleaze City. And we, we played dirty songs. That's, that was it. That was the whole concept. It was just dirty songs. Songs like you know, Super Freak and the Humpty Dance. We actually did a special Christmas show where we only played dirty Christmas songs. And there are more out there than than you would think. I remember we played we played one by ACDC called "I Want a Mistress for Christmas." We actually and, and, and this is true. We had a guy call in, and he played us a sleazy song that he wrote himself. He played it over the phone, and it was called uh, <clears throat> "Trim Carpenter." Trim Carpenter. In fact, I did a little digging. And this is footage, not footage. This is a recording of a show that we did in 2009, 2009. Barack Obama was still in his first term, early in his first term. Here we are. This is vintage material from the archives, Slee City. 2009. All right, we got our first and only request so far today. Hey, Thank how about you. that? Thank you, first Big Daddy. Thank you, my friend. Big Daddy, and he is the forerunner right now for the key to Slee City this week. That's right. And let me tell you something. I think he introduced a new word into the English lexicon here. He called us Sleazemeisters. Now, sleaze if there's one meisters. thing I don't mind being called, it's a sleazemeister. Sleaze I've been called much worse here. You know, it's it's all good. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much, Big Daddy. And if you want to throw your hat in the ring for that <laughs> key to the city, 937-775-5555 is the way to do it. One more time, Andy. Please. Okay, it's 937. You got that? <laughs> 775. Okay? 5555. There it is. 
It's that easy, my friends. And now we're going to hear Big Daddy's request. After we just played Beyonce, and she's kind of like the new version of this artist. She's the new who? Of course we're talking about Tina. You know exactly Tina. who we're talking about. We're talking about Tina. Hey, Tina. T Tina Legs Turner. Tina Legs Turner, all right? <laughs> the private dancer herself. That's right. Right here with a song called Steamy Windows. Whoa, it's called what? Steamy Windows. Oh, oh, hey, yo. And we're going to have a good time playing this one for you. I've never heard it. So I've never heard it either. I'm looking forward to it. Steamy I'm, Windows. Steamy Windows right here <laughs> on Slee City, only on WWSU. 106 points. You know it. Sleaze! We weren't academic about it, but these songs actually tapped into a tradition called hokum. Hokum. It is a subgenre of music that specializes in innuendo. It tries to get laughs, and it tries to get you to laugh by being dirty. Its cousin is the novelty song, the type of thing that Dr. Demento used to play. Think of Holcomb as dirty novelty songs. And this type of thing has been around forever. This song is from 1936. It's called Let's Get Drunk and truck. You know my other man is out of town. Your other woman, she's not around. Now is the time to break them down. Let's get drunk and drunk. If we should accidentally get too high to go home, I've got an extra dollar to rid a parking room. Nineteen thirty-six. There's an abundance of old blues songs that dabbled in hokum. Here's one from nineteen thirty-eight. It's called "Your Biscuits Are Big Enough for Me." Baby, don't put no more begging powder and your bread, you see. Cause your biscuits is plenty tall enough for me. Baby, I don't want no more sugar and your jelly roll, you see. Cause your jelly roll is plenty sweet enough for me. Some men like lunch meat and some they like so tongue. Some men don't care for biscuits. They like the doggone big fat bomb. But baby, don't put no more begging powders in your bread, you see. Cause your two biscuits plenty big enough for me. Innuendo is the name of the game. And it wasn't just fringe artists that recorded songs like these. No, sir. Here is Aerosmith, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Red, 
You may ask yourself, were any of these songs were any of these songs actually hits? And the answer is yes. This was a number one song by Chuck Berry, of all people. And all the great songs that he did, this this is the only song of his that hit number one. And it's Hokum. When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bells hanging on a string. She told me it was my ding-a-ling-a-ling-o. There's also this country tune, which reached number two in 1969, and I bet you know it. Well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much to Ma and me. Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now, I don't blame him because he run and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke and it got a lot of laughs from a lots of folks. Seems I had to fight my whole life through. Some gal would giggle and I'd get rid and some guy'd laugh and I'd bust his head. I'll tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue. Now, that's, that's almost more of a novelty song than Holcomb. Because most of the time, Holcomb is is far more suggestive. And there are so, so, so many country songs that fit into this tradition. Songs like, She'd rather be homeless than here at home with me. If you can't be good, then be good at it. Now I lay me down to cheat. And a personal favorite it's hard to kiss the lips at night that chew your ass out all day long. Sometimes I might feel frisky But these days it's just too risky It's hard to kiss the lips at night That chew your ass out all day long That's by the Notorious Cherry Bombs, a country super group. Both Rodney Crowell and Vince Gill were in it. I always thought Vince Gill was, was kind of a, a choir boy, but he, he got a little mud on him in that track. Let's keep going. More Holcomb song titles. How Can I Miss You If You Never Leave? She Only Bitches When She's Breathing. Now, now right now, you may think that Holcomb is a male 
a male-dominated thing, and you would be right. But there is female hokum, like this. It's Elizabeth Cook's It Takes Balls to Be a Woman. Speaking of, <clears throat> there's an entire subgenre of the subgenre dedicated to balls. Some balls are held for charity and some for fancy dress. But when they're held for pleasure, they're the balls that I like best. My balls are always bouncing to the left and to the right. It's my belief that my big ball should be held every night. Oh, We've got big balls. That, of course, is ACDC, Big Balls. It's about a party, right? Uh, This ball-centered track dates back to the 1940s. song titles you got it keep on churning till the butter comes thanks to the cat house i'm in the dog house with you who's gonna mow your grass and another favorite i've never gone to bed with an ugly woman but i sure woke up with a few That song uh, was written in 1976 by Shel Silverstein. Silverstein also wrote 
a boy named Sue for Johnny Cash. And in fact, and, and, and a lot of people don't know this, he also he wrote a sequel to A Boy Named Sue from the perspective of Sue's father. And, and Johnny Cash never cut this song, but, but this is, regardless, this is it. The father of a boy named Sue. Well, years ago, I sang a song called A Boy Named Sue. That was all right and everything except I started to think about it. And I thought, it's unfair. I'm looking at this thing from the poor kid's point of view. But I got more older and more fatherly. I began looking at things from the old man's point of view. I decided to give that man his due. Here we go. Well, I left home when the kid was three. And it sure felt good to be fancy free. I knew it wasn't the fatherly thing to do. Well, that kid kept screaming and throwing up and pissing in his pants till I'd had enough. So just for revenge, went and named him Sue. Well, it was Gatlinburg in mid-July, and I was getting drunk but getting by. Getting old and going from bad to worse. Went through the door with an awful scream, come the ugliest queen I've ever seen. He says, my name is Sue. Shel Silverstein was a Holcomb specialist. Here are some other songs he wrote. Freaking at the Freaker's Ball, 1972. That was actually released on an album called Sloppy Seconds. Never Bite a Married Woman on the Thigh, 1962. I Got Stoned and I Missed It, 1972. Quaaludes Again, 1980. And and Machine. 1965. Shel Silverstein was a, a children's author, as you know, and, and now you know that he also wrote dirty songs. It's hard to square those two. On top of everything else, he, he also drew, like he, he, he could draw. He was a cartoonist and worked as a cartoonist for Playboy. A uniquely American life if there ever was one. He famously said that he never planned to be a children's author, but got a kick out of it, out of the idea. Once his manager brought it up, it was by far the biggest moneymaker during his life. Uh, Shel Silverstein died of a heart attack in 1999, 68 years old. Put him in the Holcomb Hall of Fame. Well, there's gonna be a Freakers Ball <laughs> Tonight at the Freakers Hall And you know you're invited one and all Uh-oh. Come on, babies, grease your lips Grab your hats and swing your hips And don't forget to bring your whips we're going to the Freakers Ball, yes. Blow your whistle, bang your gong, roll up something to take along. It feels so good, it must be wrong. We're freaking at the Freakers Ball. Don't worry about the mule, just load the wagon. I'm going to hire a wino to decorate our home. I don't look good naked anymore. These songs are quite honestly endless. 
Well, my body could use a little slimming. I keep my shirt on when I go swimming. And I ain't seen my feet since 1984. The old lady wants to roll in the hay. We turn the lights down all the way. Cause I don't look good naked anymore. Shel Silverstein almost never used profanity in his songs. The swearing that you hear in Johnny Cash's version of A Boy Named Sue was added for emphasis by Cash himself. On the original record, Son of a Bitch is bleeped. An alternate version has Cash overdub Son of a Gun instead. Uh, The word damn was also edited out. Most versions that you hear now have those words left in. Uh, Cash would edit himself on occasion. He didn't swear when he performed the song at the White House, for instance. He also didn't swear when he performed it at Glastonbury in 1994. If these songs seem mean-spirited, many of them are. So here's one from Sawyer Brown. It's full of gratefulness, and it is called Smoking Hot Wife. I walk around with a big fat grin. I can't believe how lucky I've been. Like being Andy, the Mayberry life with my kids and the dogs and my smoking hot wife. I've got a truck and some land, and I play in a band with my friends on a Saturday night. I thank God for the good life I'm fighting the good fight. From my porch in the swing by my smoking hot wife. You want to hear a little more of that? I thought so. I ain't much to look at, so I don't know how. I ended up with the milk and the cow. We're off to Daytona. We're packed in tight. My kids and their friends and my smoking hot wife. I've got my toes in the sand and iced tea in my hand. And I'm living out the fantasy life. The vast majority of these songs are pretty ornery. Case in point is Pray, an innocent enough title by Jason and the Long Road to Love. As you might expect, though, there's there's a, a bit of a twist here, a bit of a catch. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when Things were going great till they fell apart again so I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. 
Let the good Lord do his job You just pray for them I pray your brakes go out running down a hill I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill And knocks you in the head like I'd like to I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls I pray all your dreams never come true Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you This song reminds me of another one that was a hit when I was in, <laughs> when I was in high school. Uh, another high point for Holcomb. You remember this one? In case you forgot, that song was by Eamon. It nearly cracked the top 40 in 2004 and actually went to number one in several countries. Australia, Denmark, Italy, the UK, number one in all of those places. If you want to quibble, it, it might not be Holcomb because there's no joke. It is just, it's just kind of mean. Our next selection, though, is a little of, of both of those things. It's by the great Roy Clark. It's called Thank God and Greyhound, You're Gone. Now you come to me with a simple goodbye. You tell me you're leaving, but you don't tell me why. Now we're here at the station and you're getting All I can think of is Thank God and Greyhound, you're gone Thank God and Greyhound, you're gone Then there's She Got the Gold Mine and I Got the Shaft. Well, I guess it was back in 63 when eating my cooking got the better of me, so I asked this little girl I was going with to be my wife. Well, she said she would, so I said I do. But I'd have said I wouldn't if I'd have just knew how saying I do was going to screw up all of my life. Well, the first few years weren't all that bad. I'll never forget the good times we had, because I'm reminded every month when I send her the child support. Well, it wasn't too long till the lust all died, and I'll admit I wasn't too surprised. The day I come home and found my suitcase sitting out on the porch. Well, I tried to get in. She changed the lock. Then I found this note taped on the mailbox that said, Goodbye, Tucky. My attorney will be in touch. So I decided right then and there, I was going to do what's right. Give her her fair share. But, brother, I didn't know her share was going to be that much. She got the gold mine. I got the share. They split it right down the middle. And then they give her the better half. Well, it all sounds sort of funny. But it hurts too much to laugh. She got the gold mine. I got the share. And finally, I'd like to bring us into the present day. You know, we started with dirty songs from back in the 30s. And I think we've we've touched on just about every decade since. Our final two selections were both number one hits. And they're both pure Holcomb. And they're not country Holcomb or blues Holcomb, but, but pop Holcomb. Pop Holcomb. It exists. 
And and we've heard them all so much that we're tired of them by now. Nevertheless, they do demonstrate the power of the Holcomb tradition. Our first selection from the modern era is from 2012. Slow it down, baby, take a look. You know my whistle, baby, whistle, baby, let me know. Girl, I'm gonna show you how to do it, and we start real slow. You just put your lips together, and you come real close. Can you blow my whistle, baby, whistle, baby? Here we go. Yes, that is Flo Rida, your mom's favorite rapper. Whistle spent two weeks at number one. Interestingly, not consecutive weeks. It hit the top spot, lost it, then got it back. Sort of unusual. Our last selection came out just two years ago. Pure Holcomb and female Holcomb. It's always nice to see that. This not only hit number one, but was certified platinum seven times. From the top, make it drop. That's some wet ass pussy. Now get a bucket and a mop. That's some wet ass pussy. I'm talking wop, wop, wop. That's some wet ass pussy. Macaroni in a pot. That's some wet ass pussy. Huh. Love it or hate it, you know it. And lyrically, it's just one joke after another, a hallmark of Holcomb music. If you're looking for something different to stream, maybe something a little ornery, maybe something that's a break from the day-to-day drudgery, well, here are some songs to spice things up, to give you a little smile, maybe a little mischievous grin. And that's good. It's healthy. The songs presented here today, just cut from a different fabric. And I hope you enjoy them. My friends, we are, as you know, building the most perfect playlist known to man. You can find it and enjoy it on Spotify by searching Stream Police Playlist. Every month, we add five more songs to it. This is a living document. And this month, we begin with Wild Eyes by the Nervous Eaters. She has a reach that grabs it So very weird to say Second, this is You Look Good in Neon by Mike and the Moon Pies. But you look good in neon. You gave me a last cigarette. And when it's closing time and the lights come on, we should share a shot of friendship. And if you want to slow down, well, this is your last chance. Right and do me wrong. You look 
then Sleepless in Love by the great, and I do mean great, Joe Ely. Uh, let's see. Next, I'm going to give you As Long As I Can Be With You by Patty Scalfa. I've been lost and I've been found and lifted up to the gates of heaven and put back down. I've walked in chains, baby, and I've And finally, hot off the presses, this is Cozy by Beyonce. Damn you little, might I suggest you don't fuck with my sis, cause she comfortable, comfortable in my skin, cozy with who I am, comfortable in my skin, cozy, cozy, comfortable in my skin, cozy with who I am, I love myself goddamn that's it that's all I can give you Holcomb get down with your bad self have a little fun alright tossing it back to Clint see ya Oh, man, I love that Andy brought up Sleaze City. We haven't brought up Sleaze City too many times in the history of the Stream Police podcast, but uh, before this podcast, that was our arguably our greatest uh, collaboration together back on the old airwaves of Wright State's WWSU 106.9 FM. Uh, and, man, good times. Uh, but what a collection of five songs this week. Um Five songs that I only knew two of them. Uh, of the five, I've never heard of anything by the Nervous Eaters. So that was a new one for me. Uh, Mike and the Moon Pies, I know some songs by them, but I did not know that one. Um, I Okay, actually, I knew three of them because I knew uh, Joe Ely's Sleepless in Love because that's from the Love and Danger record, which maybe has my single favorite country music recording in history on it, which is Joe Ely's 
take on uh, The Road Goes On Forever. That sounds like total hyperbole, but honestly, I don't know if there's there's a better recording a country song recording to me than that song i mean it's one of the my favorite recordings in history period doesn't matter regardless of genre uh it's just a a phenomenal song but that's from that record patty scalfa the rumble doll album that's a cool one um and of course beyonce so the last three i knew the first two i did not know but great selections as always andy you can find that playlist as he said on Spotify, just search Stream Police uh, Playlist. I'm also working on getting that moved over to Apple Music as well. Um, so you can find it on there if you are a listener on Apple Music. You can find this show on both of those platforms and anywhere, pretty much, that you find podcasts. All right, rolling on. Let's talk about something that is not streaming yet, but is rather in theaters right now. We're back to that. You know what I mean? Movies are back in theaters They're not going to just be streaming at the same time. I guess that was just a brief little thing, that a little fling we had where we got to watch those new movies right at home. But look, I'm not complaining because... I, the, the movie theater is one of my great sacred places on earth. I've had some of my greatest memories in life sitting in movie theaters, you know, all around the world, honestly. Um, and I just, it's so special to me that I'm glad that it's back. But with that said, I actually didn't go to a movie theater. I went to the drive-in, uh, the drive-in theater last time, uh, to see the movie Nope. The new film by Jordan Peele, and uh, this was a movie that um, is is still in theaters right now, but like I said, uh, Beth and I saw it at the drive-in, and it was kind of great viewing for the drive-in because it reminded me of the classic, like, 1950s, 60s monster movies where, you know, you were just hoping to get a glimpse at something really creepy and, uh, you know, wondering, how are these people going to get the best of this massive beast, whatever it may be? Um, and it kind of took me like back to what it must've been like to watch those kind of movies at the drive-in, um, you know, back in the 1950s when drive-ins were it, when they were the place to be, it was cool to sit there and watch a movie like that. I hadn't been to the drive-in in a minute. I've always liked going to movies there. Um, and luckily, you know, we living in Columbus, we've got a really good drive-in like 15 minutes from where we live. Um, and down in Cincinnati, there's a good one around there as well. Um, and so, you know, I, both the places that, that, uh, we've really spent most of our adult lives, I've had a drive in close by, but I know that's not the case for most places. They're, they're just so few and far between. There's only like three of them in the entire state of Ohio, really. Uh, and they are spread out all over the place. Actually, I think there's like five or six, but Still, it's like a very, very low number compared to what it be used to be. Like every town, you know, had one. Now they've all been paved over for parking lots, of course, like Joni Mitchell once told us that uh, everything would be. But nope, uh, like I said, is the latest from Jordan Peele following in the heels of on the heels of Get Out and uh, Us. And this is a very different movie than both of those which were really, those were kind of straight horror films with a, a message that, you know, was especially about being black in America and the fear that comes with that. I mean, Get Out was like hit you over the head with a hammer as far as it being about 
racism and systemic racism and just the fear of being black in America and, um, you know, the fear that you inspire in people. But really, it's a fear that uh, that comes from black people just feeling like they're outnumbered all the time and feeling like they're going to be, you know, taken advantage of in any given uh, uh, time and just not trusting anybody. How could they trust anybody? Um, so it's it, that get out was a brilliant movie. It's one of my favorite movies of the last decade. I put it high on my list of movies of the decade. Us on the other hand, I was a little less impressed with it, even though I thought Lupita Nyong'o did great work and she was so creepy in it. And I think us might have been a creepier movie, but I just felt like it, it didn't hit me the way that get out did. And, and the rest of the performances in it, in it were not, um, didn't knock me out like the ones in Get Out did. And the twist in it, I think it was too reliant on a twist and it didn't get me going the way that Get Out did. So I wasn't as nuts about us. I did still like it. And I still was like, man, Peel's got, like, he's just got such an eye for directing horror and crowd pleasing horror and getting gasps out of audiences. Um, I mean, he really is like a modern day Alfred Hitchcock for sure. Um, just kind of more with like social things in mind, but Nope is interesting because it kind of goes in a totally different direction. This was more like a spectacle, whereas get out and us to me were acting showcases. Um, and you know, in get out, you get to see Catherine Keener and Daniel Kaluuya just like on the screen battling together and, both of them digging down so deep uh, in their performances and, and Bradley Whitford as well. And then you got to say, but, and then in us, like I said, Lupita Nyong'o goes really deep for her character in that movie. And she has to go to some very dark places. Uh, and I don't know how natural that is for her because she just seems like a ball of light whenever you see an interview with Lupita Nyong'o. So that was very out of, out of uh, character for her. I feel like, um, but then the movie Nope comes along, and it's not really a character piece. It's not really an acting showcase. It's just more of a spectacle. This is more the kind of thing that a Spielberg or a Hitchcock would have given audiences uh, in their heyday. And it left me more creeped out when I was laying in bed at night than it did when I was watching it. I mean, in the moment, there are parts that make you jump, um, but mostly you're just trying to figure out what's going on and you're just trying to figure out how they are going to defeat, like I said, what is basically a huge monster in the sky. And I don't want to give anything away because I think this is a movie that works best the less you know about what's happening in it. But let's just say that there is, you know, potentially an alien invader in the sky over this uh, horse farm. That's been run by a black family in Hollywood for generations. It's a it's a it's a family of like Hollywood animal uh, trainers who've worked on westerns and any movies that have horses in them. Basically, going back in history, and there is real history behind this family's name and um, behind some of the stories that they tell. Uh, but of course, you know the the film is fiction itself. Uh, but there is some real Hollywood history there, and it's that's a cool thing by Jordan Peele to get that worked in there, and to show us the that you know the first moving images in in cinema history were of a black man riding a horse, and we get to see that in uh, in Nope. So that's a cool piece of like cinema nerd history that he throws into this, which is you know one of those things that 
you know, Hitchcock or Spielberg, again, I think would have appreciated, um, not that Spielberg's dead, but Hitchcock obviously is, but, uh, you know, just that bit of cinema history thrown into the middle of what is really a fascinating, big spectacle, you know, classic blockbuster kind of picture, um, except it is rated R and it is pretty gory and it is, like I said, pretty intense and scary. Just to me, it was the idea of what happens to the victims in this movie that made me lay in bed at night and just have a hard time getting to sleep because it was very, it's a very scary thought as far as what happens to the people in this movie. And I think, um, that's what really got me, uh, in the end, because you're just wondering what the hell's going on. And then when it finally clicks, like what's happening to these people, and oh my God, why is there blood like raining from the sky? It, it's it's horrifying and it is frightening truly and uh, just awful to think about and to think about your loved ones going through. And I mean, there are a lot, the victims in this movie are children, um, you know, f- entire families. It's not just like a couple people. It's like, it, it's in, lots of people are victims in this movie and uh there's not going to be much to bury when it comes uh time to put them in the ground but anyway daniel kaluuya stars again so he comes back uh into the jordan peele cinematic universe here uh, and leads the film kiki palmer is in it as well they play a brother and sister um who you know they get along but they don't have the greatest closest relationship with each other they've got different priorities in life but they do make a pretty good team when it comes to uh, you know, figuring out how to uh, solve the central problem of this movie, which is to prove that this monster exists and then also to vanquish this monster when it's all said and done. So Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer really do a lot of the heavy acting lifting uh, in this movie. But Michael Wincott comes in and steals so many scenes. He plays this kind of like reclusive European director and he's got his great deep voice. Uh, you know, just spitting out these enigmatic lines about the nature of life. And uh, he's fascinated by doing this entire project with them because they're trying to get photographic evidence of this thing existing so that people will believe them so that they can get, quote unquote, Oprah money uh, and keep their farm around for more generations to come because it's hard times out there, man. How? How, how we put it out? Mm. And that's what I'm saying. We don't just go for the quick cash in, okay? We, we go to the most credible platform to do the story. What's that, like Oprah? Yeah, like Oprah, for example. After that, everybody want in. Well, I'm saying there's plenty of videos of flying online. I saw one the other day that wasn't on Oprah. I didn't say Oprah. You said Oprah. You love Oprah. Like, all I'm saying is all that online is fake, low quality. Ain't nobody gonna get what we gonna get. What we gonna get? The shot. What shot? The shot. The money shot. Undeniable, singular, the, the Oprah shot. What I want to say about Nope is that I'm not, I don't know how good the replay value is going to be here. Uh, I do want to watch it again just to see kind of what I, now that I know things, you know, just what changes, but I don't know how much is going to change. Like it's not a movie that I, I think there aren't like a lot of hints dropped, like get out when you watch it again. It's it's fascinating to watch a second time after you know what's going on because that one does rely a little bit on a twist, not as heavily as Us relies on one. Um, but there is a lot of nefarious shit going on in Get Out that you just don't realize the first time you see it what's happening until, you know, then you watch it again and it's like, oh my God, it was so obvious 
And no wonder uh, this character is so nervous about being out here with all these strange white people who are pretending to be nice out in the middle of uh, the woods. Um, But the replay value of Nope, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be as strong, but what I do think this is, is it's a great first watch because you just have no clue where it's going to take you. Like there are no rules to this thing. And that's one of the things that I I really liked about Nope. I thought it, it was fascinating from the opening scene, which to me was one of the scariest parts of the entire film. The opening was completely arresting. Uh, And I think it would have been better in a movie theater than it was at the drive-in because at the drive-in, it wasn't completely dark yet. And I could hear people like rustling around on the rocks and, uh, you know, like messing around with their food and stuff like that. Uh, Whereas I think if I was in a theater and it was like pitch black, that opening scene would have been truly, truly scary. But instead, it was just more fascinating to me because I'm just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, But you've got to keep things compelling for a monster movie to work because... You know, I mean, you can't just follow the monster around. Um, You know, Peter Jackson did that with his version of King Kong. And, you know, I mean, but it was still mostly about the people. Um, But he did follow the the ape around a lot in that. And it was just kind of a meh thing, I think. You know, I wasn't enamored with that movie. I wasn't blown away by it. I appreciated what he was trying to do. I think that story still is worth, you know, mining and revisiting because it's just such a phenomenal story. Um, But, you know, a monster movie can't really follow the monster. So it's just, it's got to compel us, though, uh, to keep us watching, whether it be through the characters or through the action or the mystery of what actually is happening. And Peel did that here. He kept me engaged from start to finish and what really is not a not a short movie either uh, but it was beautifully shot it's a gorgeous film lots of wide angles western kind of uh, you know cinematography it's well imagined um, and I found it to be very original which is something I'm always going to praise a movie for whenever it does happen because it's so incredibly rare but nope just felt like a movie that it doesn't come off of any other existing IP it shouldn't have a sequel so it's just a standalone thing, and Jordan Peele is doing that. He's given us these great standalone stories uh, that a lot of times are giving a, a chance to show off great actors, especially actors of color a lot of times, but really just to tell good stories and do horror in a, a serious way, but not in a, very, a big highbrow. Like this isn't an A24 way where when it's over, you're going to be wondering, you know, whether the person you're sitting next to hated it or loved it. Like his movies pretty much are going to please you. He's a crowd-pleasing director, but that is not a knock on him. Like I said, that's how Hitchcock was. His movies were not divisive among critics and among fans. Everyone loved them. Critics loved them. Fans loved them. Regular movie-going people loved them. Um, He wasn't necessarily trying to challenge everything you thought about the world. Uh, Jordan Peele is trying to do that a little bit more, but Nope leans more into the fact of him just becoming a spectacle filmmaker And I think it's cool. I'm excited to see where he goes next. He's one of the few directors on the planet that just his name alone on a movie will get a lot of asses and seats. And it's so crazy that he's become that guy from being, you know, part of a comedy duo duo on Mad TV and on Comedy Central. And then, you know, being in a movie that starred a cat. And then now becoming one of the hottest directors in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest horror directors in Hollywood history. Uh, It's just not where I saw his career going, but 
here we are, man. Here we are. And big on, uh, good on Jordan Peele because, as I've said many times, whenever a capable directors do horror, it leads to phenomenal cinema. And Nope is another example of it. It's very good. It's arresting. It's original. Beautifully made. Uh, well acted. And just uh, a well-imagined piece of original cinema so I, I urge you to check it out now i think it's it's worth seeing in theaters because it is a big spectacle and like i said the the vistas are just gorgeous so see it on the biggest screen that you possibly can but if you can't catch it when it's at home because it's a it's a really special really cool kind of big budget hollywood spectacle movie gotta love that cinecloud All right, let me tell you about the best thing I watched this month. I always like to uh, pick out a movie. I watched a lot of movies in this past month uh, since the last time we spoke. I like to always pick one and tell you what the best one was. Uh, and it wasn't Nope this time. Nope was up there. Uh, but it was actually a documentary that I just watched on HBO Max uh, a couple of nights ago before I'm recording this, it's brand new on HBO Max. It's called We Met in Virtual Reality, and it just came out uh, on the platform. So this this movie is is groundbreaking, honestly, because the entire film was was filmed in virtual reality. It was filmed in this platform called VR Chat, which is like kind of this nascent, and, and nascent is maybe not even true because it has been around for several years and people involved in it are very like very involved in this thing but it's I should say it's not very mainstream like I don't know anyone I haven't heard anyone in real life talk about being on VR chat but it's essentially like you know you create an avatar of yourself and it's kind of like second life or you know there's been plenty of these kind of services over the years but the fact that it's in VR I think makes it more immersive and people can make their own worlds and go to other people's worlds and just become whoever they want and you know talk to people uh with these animated avatars that they make of themselves they can animate them themselves or they can use other you know already existing animated characters and they're doing things like going to, they're taking sign language class, they're taking cooking classes, they're taking dance classes, and you're able to do all that because it's in VR and it tracks your body's movements. So there's just all kinds of opportunities here for people to to connect with other people and, and form a real community. So We Met in Virtual Reality was filmed entirely inside this platform. There are no interviews done like in person. So it's all animated on in VR chat. All the interviews are done with the avatar and with the person's voice. And there are several characters, like real people that we follow in this. And we get to hear their stories as to why they're on VR chat, what they've gotten out of it. And some of the stories are remarkable. I just, I found We Met in Virtual Reality to be so refreshing because it's a documentary where there are no murders. There's no destruction of any kind. So how many docs can you think of that have been made in the last, you know, 10 years that fit that that mold 
Um, and I actually ended up feeling inspired by this one, which again, so rare for a documentary. Usually they bum you out big time. That's kind of the whole point of documentaries. Um, you know, unless maybe it's a sports documentary, but I felt inspired by this thing and I felt extremely moved by a lot of the, the parts in this, the, the emotions were real and beautiful. And you could tell that the filmmaker, and it's a guy named Joe Hunting, who uh, I believe this is his directorial debut as far as a feature goes, and he did a wonderful job in it. Uh, and I, I think it's going to go down as a groundbreaker because of the way that he shot it. But he does something that a lot of documentaries um, don't do, and I think the best ones do, and that is meeting the subjects on their uh, you know, in their world, meeting them on their turf and staying at ground level with them, not holding yourself above them, um, especially if it's a documentary where you are kind of exploring a new world. And that's why doc uh, nature documentaries are always so fascinating to me because we get down on the animals level and we get to know their world. Um, we're not like we don't feel better than them. If anything, we feel like they're better than us. And in the case of We Met in Virtual Reality, it would have been so easy for this movie to make fun of these people in some way, to belittle what they're doing in going online and, and you know, being these anime avatars and, you know, doing what all the things that, like taking a belly dancing class or whatever, like they it would have been so to become exotic dancers in a virtual reality world like it would have been so easy for anyone like they could have got a comedian and had them tell jokes and whatever but this movie doesn't do any of that there are no cheap shots it's all played totally seriously empathetically um and you take it seriously as a result of that and it takes us into this world that most of us in the mainstream would never have known about uh, which is VR chat and puts us right into the heart of it. Like I said, on the level with the subjects, not above them. And we feel like we're part of that world. We feel like we're in the community and it feels like a community, honestly, that's a lot better than the ones that we live in right now. So it's refreshing in that way. I was completely moved in several parts, almost to tears uh, in one where they uh, eulogize one of the people's um, siblings. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, done in this film and I was looking at uh, you know a lot of animated avatars that don't particularly look convincing as real people but I, I still I felt myself being moved so I thought it was great I think it was a triumph uh, and I look forward to seeing something else like this uh, maybe even a sequel to We Met in Virtual Reality uh, which is streaming now on HBO Max I totally urge you to check it out you might look at the picture of it and think man this looks stupid but, you know, it's an hour and a half, and, you know, if you don't like it, shut it off. But it's a really cool and unique, uh, experimental, again, original kind of movie. And nobody gets murdered in it. So what more do you want uh, from that? Although, like I said, somebody does die. Uh, but, you know, that's part of life. This is not, but it's not a true crime kind of thing. But there's a, we got a wedding, we got a death. There's all kinds of stuff going on, and we met in virtual reality. That is the best thing that I watched this month. Uh, I also want to mention that I watched uh, The Eternals. And just real quick, I wanted to say that I do not think that movie deserved any of the hate that it got. 
Uh, so stream that now on Disney Plus and forget about all the stuff you heard about people saying, this is the worst Marvel movie ever. It's got the lowest ratings ever of any Marvel movie. Fuck those people, okay? I don't know what they wanted, but this was this movie was gorgeous. It had epic action, had good set pieces, cool characters, phenomenal cast, maybe the best cast that's ever been in a Marvel movie. Um Angelina Jolie, you know, I mean, come on. Anytime you get to watch her work, it's a privilege. Uh, what was not to like? I just don't understand what people wanted from the Eternals because I thought it was great. It was like almost three hours long, but I was like, you know, I'm I'm fine with this. I want it to keep going. I thought there was more story to tell here. So Eternals got a bum rap. You should definitely check that out on Disney+. Plus. When you get a chance, you don't even have to know anything about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's another thing I think is great about it. If you're a total MCU virgin, you can watch the Eternals and still enjoy it and never watch another MCU movie ever again. How many MCU movies can you say that about? All right, let me give you some recommendations now streaming on Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu and HBO Max. I've got two for you on each of them. Uh, I've got three for you actually on HBO Max, but two on the others. Usually I try to give you something light and something dark to fit whatever mood you're in, but sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. And I end up giving you two dark movies because you know, the, the choices of the light material is just not as good sometimes. And there's just some really good dramas streaming out there. Let's go to Netflix right now. Something light streaming for you is uh, Guy Ritchie's snatch the high point of his career. If you ask me, I never get tired of this movie. Uh, it just is a twisting, winding heist story full of colorful characters in working class England, uh, full of great accents, including Brad Pitt's. Um, and th- this is just a, a really just a cool movie. You know, that's kind of the best word to sum it up. But it's just a story that just goes everywhere. And uh, it's got lots of funny parts in it and uh, lots of Cool music and just cool action in it. Snatch, streaming now on Netflix. Kind of quintessential British gangster film for the uh, modern age. Uh, Something dark for you on Netflix. 1999's landmark, Eyes Wide Shut. I've said before, I think, uh, in my opinion, it's Stanley Kubrick's best movie. Uh, And it's just, you know, you're watching Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman give two such raw performances that people have said it's what ended their marriage You know, I think it has to be a lot more complicated than that. But uh, that does make watching the movie seem a lot more monumental. And uh, the movie itself is already monumental. Uh, So Eyes Wide Shut, a modern epic. Check that one out on Netflix. I'm so glad you get to stream it on there in high def because it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. I love watching that movie on, you know, the biggest TV in my house. Uh, On Prime Video right now, something light for you. 1976 is The Missouri Breaks. I guess the word light is subjective here. It's not really a comedy, but it is kind of just a bizarro Western. And I absolutely love this movie. Just the idea that you get to watch Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson working off of each other on screen. And Brando playing this like total weirdo character. And Nicholson just kind of being his usual, uh, you know, loose cannon self. But the two of them opposing each other is great. And they've got phenomenal scenes. It's a great script. It's got so many good lines in it. Uh, It's one of my favorite neo-westerns in the collection, which that is a great genre in itself. And The Missouri Breaks is a really good underrated one that you can watch now 
on Prime Video. Also on Prime Video, something dark. How about uh, Michael Mann's 1981 movie Thief, starring the late, great James Caan? Check it out. If you like the movie Heat, or if you like any heist movies, really, you got to check out Thief, because they borrow a lot from uh, this one. Just the shots are gorgeous. Khan is phenomenal in it. Um, he plays a really good character. Uh, but, you know, the heists are very well directed. And, of course, Michael Mann knows his way around directing uh, a tense piece of cinema. And he shows it here in one of his early works. That's streaming now on Prime Video. It's called Thief from 1981. Uh, on Hulu, something light for you. You know, 1990s kindergarten cop. It doesn't get a whole lot lighter than that, does it? Some of the great lines in Arnold Schwarzenegger's esteemed career of delivering phenomenal lines, uh, including this one. Thanks for the tip. Uh, and, of course, this one. It's not a tumor. Both of those are lines that uh, get repeated around my house uh, every every week or so, I would say, by either myself or Beth. Uh, also on Hulu, something dark for you. This was an underrated one. This one went under a lot of people's radars in 2016. It's Miles Ahead. It's this labor of love that Don Cheadle did where he played Miles Davis. Uh, and he, I, and Cheadle was like the driving force behind this film. He was, is a total passion project from him. And I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. I'm a great Miles Davis fan. And I think he just nailed him hundred percent. It's such a, it's almost like a creepy performance. How good of a, a Miles impression he does. Uh, but the, the story is fun to watch unfold. It's exciting. It's way more exciting than most musical biopics are. And it's experimental because it only cuts out of it's, it's a very small portion of Miles Davis's career. And it's a portion that a lot of people would not have singled out, uh, for a, uh, for a biopic about him. So check it out. It's just a cool, unique entry into the biopic collection. Whereas that is such a formulaic genre, Miles Ahead bucks all those trends and just kind of goes its own way. But it was it, very underrated when it came out. Not a lot of people talked about it, but that is streaming now on Hulu, and I completely recommend it. Finally, on HBO Max, I couldn't find anything light that I wanted to recommend. I only found three good dark movies for you to check out. Two horror films that are absolutely terrifying. First, we've got uh, Guillermo del Toro's early work, The Devil's Backbone. Totally frightening. It might be the scariest movie he's ever made, honestly. I think it's scarier than Pan's Labyrinth, just from a pure scares perspective. It, it might not be as good, but it is very good. I love this movie. Uh, it's The Devil's Backbone, if you're into a Spanish, Eng uh, Spanish language, uh, terrifying film with ghosts and everything else in it. Uh, haunting a school and also under the skin another very good horror movie this is a one that will divide audiences it is fairly highbrow and a little bit uh you know oblique but uh, i loved this movie i was totally drawn to it scarlett johansson gives a chilling performance in this thing uh, and it's one of those that just demands you think about it after it's over um, and again when you think about what happened to the victims i think it's it's kind of stuff that can keep you up at night as they call it fridge horror is what under the skin would fall into so the devil's backbone and under the skin streaming for you now on hbo max and i'm gonna throw one more at you how about 1986's children of a lesser god featuring the stunning oscar-winning debut of marley matlin the first deaf actor to ever win an oscar and uh william hurt the late great william hurt who died uh just not that long ago 
Uh, he gives another, you know, he was really the big powerhouse actor at this point in the mid-1980s. He was it. He was a dramatic heavyweight. You know, he had those leading man looks. He kind of had it all. He was the total package. And Children of a Lesser God is one of his better performances. Uh, and he had a career full of them. But I uh, I thought this movie was great. It's, it's you know, uh, one of those movies that's, you know, set in a, a New England school. This time it's a school for the deaf and... He's a teacher and Marley Matlin's character. She's like a janitor, I think, and they fall in love. And it's a, it's a lot of passion, a lot of really intense stuff going on in Children of a Lesser God. It's an acting showcase, to be sure, and streaming now on HBO Max. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast, my friend. Come back in a month. We'll talk to you again. Uh, I want to urge you once again to check me out on uh, YouTube at Overdue Review, on Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd at Mr. Clint Davis. On Letterboxd, you'll find my list of all the movies I recommended from this episode in case you missed any when you were trying to take notes while you were driving. Ah, don't do that. And Andy Sedlak is at Andy Sedlak on Instagram as well. Uh, And you can email both of us also if you have anything you want to talk about, you have any requests of things we watch or listen to or talk about. Um, you can write me at theclintdavis at gmail.com and Andy is at sedlackjournal at gmail.com. Talk to you in a month, my friend. Until then, stream on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.